Good morning, saints of our Lord, and welcome to Thy Strong Word. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Today is Friday, May the 21st, and we are inching upon Pentecost this Sunday and still in the Easter season, so we are still enjoying the joys of the resurrection, knowing our Lord is ascended on high, and today we search the scriptures in these hopes that we will be able to read them with Christ's goggles on from 1 Kings chapter 20. We have been following Elijah, Elisha, and today we hear about Ahab's wars, and it kind of has a different taste and feel from the previous times we've heard of Ahab. Kind of a unique situation with Syria, Ben-Hadad, and the wars, and the battles, and everything else in between. How does this point us to Jesus, and what does this mean for us? The gifts are ready, ready for you. Thank you for tuning us in this morning on Worldwide KFUO. Christ for you, anytime, anywhere. Thy Strong Word is graciously underwritten by our friends at Lutheran Heritage Foundation. Visit lhfmissions.org for more information, lhfmissions.org. To help us be strengthened by God's Word, we have with us Pastor David Hines of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota. Pastor Hines, welcome to Thy Strong Word. Thank you, Brady. It's good to be on with you. Pastor, this is our... First time together on Thy Strong Word. And one of the fun things about Thy Strong Word is that we have new listeners all the time, all across the globe. And so, as we know that ministry is happening, um, even though you are literally, what, eight minutes away from me (laughs) here in Minnesota, uh, can you introduce yourself and the work of the saints at Trinity Lutheran Church? Absolutely. And uh, I've had the privilege of knowing Brady for almost my entire ministry. Yeah, uh, We were classmates at SEM, and uh, we get to be brothers in Christ nearby, which is pretty cool. Uh, I've been at uh, Trinity for, 12, for three years, and uh, got to serve uh, Zion and Alexandria for another 12. Before then, I was at ECE, a director of Christian education at a church in Minnesota for seven years. So I've uh, been around a little while, and uh, it's been a joy to share the gospel in the lives uh, of a lot of people and some very unique situations, but really fun to watch people blossom uh, as uh, reconcilers in Christ, uh, growing in confession of faith. Um, We've been studying the book of Acts recently, and uh, I'm just uh, convinced the parallel to our current situation is, is great as we see Christians uh, being called to account for the faith, and then also the opportunity to watch that faith really spread. Uh, I am a husband to Jennifer. We've been married for 23 years, I believe it is, and I have three children. Uh, ben just got his license, so he's driving. Uh, so all of you can keep us in our prayers as we <laughs> <laughs> as he drives around. And then I have a son, Asher, and a daughter, Lydia. And uh, our house is busy, and it's good. Well, for our listeners, when I started with KFUO, I told a little story about skipping chapel um, during seminary. And I talk about me and another no. guy who were walking around. I told that story again, Pastor. And I tell you what, the guy that him and that I was walking with as we skipped chapel that day was Pastor David Hines. So I that just always. That would be me. <laughs> Yes. I had that in my introductory thoughts. The gifts of God are waiting for you. Yes. (laughs) It's so good. So I have to say that mainly because um, you were going to work. I was just simply skipping. So let's just make sure we keep that 
in line with that story. Yes, but we can also confess we both felt that the guilt worked quite well. <laughs> exactly. And it also changed our perspective on what God gives in worship, didn't it? God has gifts to give. So, Pastor, and, and he gives us his gifts this morning. So can you begin our time and ask the Lord's blessing in prayer for us? Yeah, let's do that. Gracious Father in heaven, we give thanks to you that in your loving kindness you have given us word and promise of strength, courage, faith, hope, and love. That you have brought us this far and have given us this word through your son, Jesus Christ, that we might believe and discover eternal life. We thank you today for the resurrection given to us through Jesus and that you and your loving kindness have sent him into our lives through a living word. Thank you that we are blessed today to read it. And we ask your spirit be with us that we might uh, hear that word and believe and that it might strengthen us, that it might make us question and think ponder and grow that we might know that you are the Lord. Be with us this day, Lord, and grant that many ears will hear and believe. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We are in 1 Kings chapter 20, and here's a little thought I had as, <laughs> as I was studying 1 Kings chapter 20, is the typical Christian, especially when we think of Sunday school, uh, maybe you highlighted uh, the Bible stories when you went through confirmation. Maybe you read through the Bible when you were older or college or you studied the scriptures. The reality is you get to Elijah and you remember the stories. And then you kind of remember when he fled from uh, Jezebel. You remember a little bit later. But then we kind of skip and we, we, we skip Ezra. We skip Nehemiah, Esther, and we might just go to Job when it talks about the Old Testament. Maybe we don't skip it, but you read it, but you're still thinking about Mark Car Mount Carmel and the situation there. So chapter 20 is quite fascinating because there's a lot of context that leads us to it. And I think for many of us, we've never read chapter 20 very thoroughly. So uh, Pastor, do you have any uh, background or thematic thoughts for today's text? I think that's very interesting because I'm sure, just like me, everyone loves trying to keep track of all the kings of the north and kings <laughs> of the south and that's all right. the interactions they have. Uh, Brady, what I find uh, <clears throat> really interesting, and yes, I think you're exactly right. You've got the, right before this, you've got the, the story of Elijah and the drought, the widow of Zarephath and raising his, uh, her son. Uh, then you've got him confronting Ahab and the prophets and that grand moment at Mount Carmel. But the way Kings is written strikes me because it writes in a way in which the, the prophet, when he writes this, writes it in a manner that's so matter of fact. Mm -hmm. This is what happened and this is what happened as if it's, we could be convinced to take it simply as a historical account. Why what's chosen is chosen, I, I, we'd have to ask. But this happens and this happens. But actually what the, what the author is forcing us to do is read on a different level. To, to consider things differently, to read onward and more closely and ask what's really going on. And we find one of those moments in First Kings chapter 20, and when we get there, we'll point that out. But you have actions of these kings, like Ahab. He does something that, that appears to be mm, merciful, maybe even godly. But is it really a good thing? And, and it makes you ponder, is this just matter of fact, or is the Lord really at work 
revealing something else to us in his word. And he wants us to discover that as we read. It's not just a simple, here's all the answers to the test. Jesus is the answer to the test. But we can gain great wisdom for how to live through what the prophet shares with us in Kings. And even the accounts of Ahab and the war with Syria. That's probably where I'd start. Because ultimately, First Kings, as I, I get it, uh, we keep hearing this phrase, and it comes up again today, that uh, you will know that I am the Lord. Mm. What is it that will drive us to discover that he is the Lord? And, and Ahab is brought to that moment. And I'm excited about diving into that. We may not remember these stories much, but they shape and mold along with the rest of it. God revealing himself that we might believe and know him and know him not, not simply as uh, regurgitated information, but know him with intimate relationship, because that's how he wants to be known. He's an, uh, a relationship God, an intimate God. And so the, the author of Kings drives us to that point, and you could easily read chapter 20 and forget it. But perhaps if we read it a little more closely, a little differently, and ask some different questions, we might discover uh, even more going on in the text. That's probably where I'd leave it. Yeah, that's that's a great great (laughs) reminder for us to slow down and to read the Word of God within its, I guess you say, context, its culture, Mm -hmm. um, and to know that God's working through it all. We had the honor of having Dr. Um, Meyer, who wrote the commentary on First Kings, on to begin our study of First Kings, and one mm-hmm. of the one of the aspects that I really appreciated he writes in his commentary, and also as he teaches on First Kings, is that yes, First Kings is a historical narrative, but God, well, one God works in history, but from this history we understand our theology which I thought was a really interesting dynamic of us realizing one God works in the world and, and he even works among the evil <laughs> that we might call yes. Ahab um, today. So it's, it's a fascinating dynamic as we read chapter 20 today. Um, any last That's thoughts before awesome. we begin? Yeah, it was a great, yeah, it really uh, is. Just that uh, you aren't going to get as many wise nuggets from me as you would from him. <laughs> um, <laughs> but but that's such a profound statement. How does God want people to discover himself? Mm-hmm. And I think today we'll, we'll find that it's in deliverance. And if we're, we're asking rightly, uh, a narrative history in Scripture isn't for a narrative history. It's for us to discover the Lord, which namely is the question we usually end up is, where is Christ and then where do I sit? Yeah, yeah. And, and that I think is, to be revealed. So let's get into it. Let's get into it. Reminder to our listeners, we are studying um, the Holy Scriptures from the English Standard Version in 1 Kings chapter 20. And we'll begin by reading the first six verses of 1 Kings chapter 20. Ben-Hadad, the king of Syria, gathered all his army together. Thirty-two kings were with him, and horses and chariots. And he went up and closed in on Samaria and fought against it. And he sent messengers into the city to Ahab, king of Israel, and said to him, Thus says Ben-Hadad, Your silver and your gold are mine. Your best wives and children are also mine. And the king of Israel answered, 
As you say, my lord, O king, I am yours and all that I have. The messengers came again and said, Thus says Ben-Hadad, I sent to you saying, Deliver to me your silver and your gold, your wives and your children. Nevertheless, I will send my servants to you tomorrow about this time, and they sell sure to your house and the houses of your servants and lay hands on whatever pleases you and take it away. Well, <laughs> right there, we're already like to have neighbors like that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, <laughs> like a good neighbor, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Ben Haddad is there, but anyways. Um, <laughs> so, give us kind of a rundown. What what's happening here? Who is? Ben, do you know much about Ben Haddad? He's kind of a unique figure that it's hard to figure out. Do you know anything about him and what's happening? Well, I, I have to tell you, you gave me almost no time to prepare today, so I didn't get to study much on Ben Haddad. Uh, uh, but interestingly enough, he, uh, Syria has been growing as a quote world power. And of course they have world power aspirations. Mm-hmm. So they started collecting uh, areas around them and he's got other Kings under him that have uh, become subservient to his rule. And so he's gathered his army, which includes all these others. And they count 32 Kings. And, and I believe uh, if Jeremiah wrote first Kings, he, he, put that in here uh, so that we get a sense of the breadth or or hugeness of this military might already. Mm -hmm. That Syria is a force to be reckoned with in the world. And Syria's first real mean competition is going to be right to the south of them, which is Samaria, Israel, the northern kingdom. And and they have horses and chariots, which also at this time is uh, a reminder of military advancement. They've got technology on their side. They know how to use chariots. They've got horses. They've got all the equipment, and they've got a large uh, entourage of fighting people. Interestingly, too, it was common that, I think, in the ancient world, that kings usually began as warriors as well. Hmm. But an established kingdom, if they had uh, kings in charge of military uh, regimes or, or troops, uh, over time, those guys could become more bureaucrat than warrior. Uh, so we'll find out later in the story where that's at. Uh, but at this point, Ben Haddad is gathering his troops, and th- it's interesting, they go up to Samaria. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously, that city is on a hill. So you'd think Samaria has the advantage, but if they surround it, they can close them off and uh, squeeze them dry. What he does is he sends messengers to King Ahab, who we've already gotten the idea is not a great model citizen of the Lord. Yet, by, uh, we'll call it God's mercy, Ben or, uh, Ahab still has a sizable kingdom with a bit of power behind him. He's mm-hmm. notable anyway. Nevertheless, he gets this, uh, letter from Ben Haddad from his messenger Your silver and your gold are mine, your best wives and children are mine. He is looking for payment. It's extortion. Uh, I'll threaten you, and if you give me what I want, I'll leave you alone. So, uh, in, in common <clears throat> ancient biblical terms, we call it uh, being a vassal king. Yeah, right. That right. Yeah. Ben Haddad would be the Syrian ruler who would rule over over Samaria, but he would do it through uh, through Ahab, and eventually Ahab could be number thirty three of those kings who go to war with 
with uh, uh, yeah. the Syrian king. Good point. Good point. <clears throat> but <clears throat> King uh, Haddad, he throws a wrinkle in this message because it seems there's more here than just making him a vassal or, or extortion here. He's really picking a fight yeah. because Ahab, I would say wisely, says, whatever you want, you take it. Now, wisely from the ways of the world, we'll put it. Mm-hmm. If he had been wise in terms of a godly king, his first reaction would have been to go to the Lord and seek God's wisdom. Right. Ahab doesn't do that. Instead, he responds and says, in order to save his own skin and hopefully his nation, <clears throat> uh, sure, take him and I'll comply. But then the messenger comes back, and this is where you can see Hadad is picking a fight. I call him Hadad for short. <laughs> he says, <clears throat> excuse me, um, deliver to me your silver and gold, your wives and children. Nevertheless, I'm going to send my servants to you tomorrow, and they will search your house and take whatever they want. So your payments, which I asked for, isn't enough. Clearly, he's looking for a response. He doesn't just want a vassal. He wants to ensure subservience on some level. So that's the situation that uh, Ahab finds himself. And really, you never hear the people in this. Mm. They're really at the mercy of whatever the ruler does. What will Ahab's decision mean for all of the multitude of his people that we're left to find out? And that's a, that's a, well, first of all, great review of how, how this all looks. And I love, you know, Psalm 20 says some trust in chariots, some in horses, you know, so there's right throughout, we have a, we have a wonderful listener who keeps highlighting every time he sends me an email, every time there's a horse and chariot situation, and it almost (laughs) always either precurses a situation where the king will fall or it shows that they're about to fall or that they have fallen, that the horse and chariots are, are, you know, it's glitz, it's glamour, you know, you come into town on that, which obviously points us again to our humble Lord who rode a donkey into Jerusalem, but that's, um, you know, that's, that's part of this whole thing, but it, it shows us the, the, the eyes were not fixed on the Lord, as you said so well, but they were fixed on, okay, how am I going to survive another day is really how Ahab is functioning, which he has from the very beginning. I mean, that's really how he's functioned. Um, not trusting in the Lord, but trusting in himself and, and power at the same time, I find it interesting that he says, uh, your best wives and your best children. <laughs> I was thinking yeah, about that. Yeah. <laughs> it's just right there already. We're realizing things are not in a good situation. If you have to distinguish your best wife, you know, this is not a good scenario <laughs> anyway, but he's well, a, well, and it makes you wonder, it makes you wonder, uh, uh, How's he going to choose? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like any of us, like give, give your best child away. You know, you have three children. <laughs> I have four children that, that would become messy real quickly. But anyways. Oh yeah. Um, yeah. That, that would go down well too. <laughs> and so, anyways, as he looks at this, he's given the scenario and he's like, okay. And that thing in, in, in Dr. Meyer's commentary, he does talk about how the, they're in a situation where um, the drought had come And for three and a half years, there was drought. And it talks about in previous chapters that Samaria was extremely hit hard with the famine. 
So they got, they're, they're very much so aware of the weakness of Samaria. They might not be able to get uh, surrounding um, tribes, but they know they can get Samaria. They can get Samaria, and they're, they're a weak time. Ahab knows this. He has nothing to battle back with, and obviously he's not looking to the Lord for help. And so when this happens, it's okay. And like you said, he's not there to just make a deal and then we can live peacefully where you'll you'll basically be king, but I'll be overseer, but really nothing will change in your life. No, he wants it all, even to the point of going to the servants and seeing what they have under their pillow. And so he is definitely saying, I'm coming in, I'm taking over, and I'm the boss. And that that's a unique situation here, especially when we say Ahab kind of being the other kind of king on the other side. Now it's being done to him, which is a very unique situation as we look at it. Other thoughts on these first six verses, Pastor? Well, I, I love that thought. You know, the, the reversal from Ahab mm. and the weakness of Samaria. When That's a great point about the drought. And Ben-Hadad would know that, have been looking for the right opportunity. And the reason he can push his, uh, quote, luck, so to speak, push his hand on Ahab is because of that drought. But if he takes Samaria, Samaria was the capital city of the north, uh, which had been moved by Omri, uh, mm-hmm. Ahab's dad. Right. Um, that that was now the capital. So if he gets that city, it, the dominoes will fall. It won't be long before he can take everything else. So, so it's do- kind of a key moment. Oh, it's, 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 it's wonderful. Um, it's wonderful history and understanding of the politics and the place. And as you said, um, this is up on a hill. So this is the prominent place to be. And they're weak mm-hmm. and you can take them over because they're already probably starving. Even though the rain came back after Elijah and Mount Carmel, the rain did come back. But you know, as well as I do, you've been around enough farmers that they don't have grain stored up for 10 years. They have it for one year. And so they're already starving, <laughs> exactly. and that that corn might be growing, but they're not picking anything off yet. I mean, this is still no. very fresh. So it's a very right. volatile time. So let's keep going. I want to get to verse twelve, well, and we can talk further. One, you want? one, th- one thing before you move on, I just wanted to mention that uh, it's interesting that when you read the Kings, you discover too, and you mentioned it already, politics, and I mentioned technology, and they sure. do play a part. Uh, they are not in themselves evils. God uses them uh, for good, but often uh, they become problematic for God's people when they rely upon them. So Ahab's trying to make tactical, political moves when really his first step should be to trust the Lord. And God continues to, to call him to trust, which We'll get to. So you can continue on. Yeah. Oh, thank you. Thank you for that. Let's continue on 7 through 12. Then the king of Israel called all the elders of the land and said, Mark now and see this man is seeking trouble. For he sent to me for my wives and my children and for my silver <laughs> and my gold, and I did not refuse him. And all the elders and all the people said to him, Do not listen or consent. So he said to the messengers of Ben-Hadad, Tell my lord the king, All that you first demanded of your servant, I will do, but this thing I cannot do. And the messengers departed and brought him word again. Ben-Hadad sent to him and said, The gods do so to me, and more also, if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people who follow me. And the king of Israel answered, Tell him, let not 
let not him who straps on his armor boast himself as he who takes it off. When Ben-Hadad heard this message as he was drinking with the kings in the booths, he said to his men, take your positions. And they took their positions against the city. So we have about we have a few minutes here before our break, Pastor. And so we hear of kind of a back and forth, basically saying, okay, the first part, silver, gold, wives, children, okay, it's all good. But now you're going in the servant's house and you're looking for more. All bets are off. We're coming for you, basically, is what he's saying. Or come for us if you yep. want. Um, any any thoughts on this kind of I, I compared to uh, uh, kind of like Elijah and Ahab in chapter 18, like an old Western. And this kind of feels like it too, right? Their, their hands are in their holsters. They're ready to go to battle and they're saying kind of back and forth. So you ready for this? <laughs> you you going to yep. go for this? Okay. It's, so any your thoughts? It's almost high noon. <laughs> it's almost, it's high, almost noon. high noon. Who's going right. to draw? That's yep. right. That's yeah. Right. I think it's interesting that the elders and all the people say to him, don't listen. Mm-hmm. You, they know what they're getting into by saying that. I think that's just an interesting response. They're not going there. And then uh, Ben Hadad gives this, uh, you know, tell my lord the king, uh, or excuse me, he's, Ben Hadad says, uh, the gods do so to me, and more also if the dust of Samaria shall suffice for handfuls for all the people who follow me. Right. So we're about to come in and reduce you to dust. And then Ahab boldly answers. Let not the guy who's going to strap on his armor at the beginning of the battle make too much of a boast. Mm -hmm. Rather, let the guy who actually can still take off his armor when it's over be the guy who boasts. (laughs) So you talk big now, but what are you going to look like on the field? Let's see who wins. Then you can boast. You know, you you hear this, that kind of analogy in sports often. Yeah, you talk big before you talk a big game, but can you back it up? Mm. And he really, he kind of, throws it back in there, which I thought was gutsy on Ahab's part since he doesn't have much to work with at this point. Right now. Uh, even better than, yeah. Go ahead and keep going. Even better is when Ben Haddad hears that response. And where is he? He's sitting uh, in the back room with the boys, those other kings, and they're all drinking. He's sitting with his drinking buddies, <laughs> and he just tells the, the guy who brought in the message, tell the men to take their position uh, almost nonchalantly. Like, uh, they got it. Just tell the men to get ready. Kinda I think like, that's interesting where, where he keeps himself. He seems unconcerned. Right. Right. We'll see what happens. This is a no brainer. Yeah. So it's kind of like on uh, Lord of the Rings when all the auks are coming and they have that vision where a guy goes, so it begins. <laughs> So it begins. <laughs> and that's kind of where we are. <laughs> I I love that you've brought Lord of the Rings into this. That, that's great. Absolutely. That's stuff. I try to every month. Yeah, here we go. But no, that's good. Anyways, but we are need to take our break right now. We are studying First <laughs> Kings chapter 20 with Pastor Dave Hines, and we'll be right back. What's happening in Germany's Lutheran churches, where Iranian refugees are flooding through the doors? What new opportunities for sharing the Christian faith are arising in communist Vietnam, and how can my church play a part? Mission speakers, all LCMS pastors from the Lutheran Heritage Foundation, will come to your church free of charge to preach and lead Bible studies tying into this exciting work going on all around the world. 
To schedule your speaker, call LHF at 800-554-0723. And welcome back. We are studying 1 Kings chapter 20 with Pastor David Hines. And so far, we have not seen any really fun um, action. We've had a lot of threats. I was thinking about this during the break, Pastor, that it's almost like when you if you were to be a wwe fan which i'm not sure if our listeners are big wwe fans but vince mcmahon coming out and saying the battle is about to begin and and all these people come out back in our day it would have been hulk hogan and andre the giant and i'm not sure who it would be nowadays it doesn't really matter but all this talk before there's any action so any any thoughts on these first 12 verses we have a lot of verses to get through but i wanted to see if you have any last thoughts uh just that there's either a great sense of anticipation, especially for the reader. When's this going to come to a head? Like you mentioned, uh, you know, what's going to happen. We, let's see some action. Let's see him fight. Uh, but I wonder for those involved, if it wasn't more like, uh, the anticipation of doom, right. You know, uh, can we get this over with? Because I just don't think I can stand waiting for the battle to start. Uh, especially if you're, you're in Samaria, uh, I'm assuming that Ahab let his people know. If not, they'd be totally unawares. But if they do know, then it's like you're all geared up, but you have nothing to expend all that nervous energy on. By 13, we start to get more into the meat of what that's going to look like. And we find for the Israelites some relief. And it's interesting, too, as we look at these next verses, the first 12 doesn't really mention anything about God. There's no God talk. There's no, he's been evil in the sight of the Lord, which we're used to. As you said, you're kind of a nerd. You like, you know, memorizing kings and all this for the 12 <laughs> tribes of you know, the, the Israel and Judah or something. But, I mean, there's no talk of God so far. So it is interesting. And I encourage our listeners the rest, the rest of this, notice how God is involved. And don't forget, Ahab has not had a good track record to this point. So what does this mean for him? What does this mean for us? So let's continue on. Verses 13 through 22. And behold, a prophet came near to Ahab, king of Israel, and said, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Have you seen all this great multitude? Behold, I will give it into your hand this day, and you shall know that I am the Lord. And Ahab said, By whom? He said, Thus says the Lord, By the servants of the governors of the districts. Then he said, Who shall begin the battle? He answered, You. Then he mustered the servants of the governors and the districts, and there were 232. And after them he mustered all the people of Israel, 7,000. And they went out at noon. High noon, see, there you go, Pastor. While Ben-Hadad was drinking himself <laughs> drunk in the booths, he and the 32 kings who helped him. The servants of the governors of the districts went out first. And Ben-Hadad sent out scouts, and they reported to him, Men are coming out from Samaria, he said. If they have come out for peace, take them alive. Or if they've come out for war, take them alive. So they went out to the city, the servants of the governors of the districts and the army that followed them. And each struck down his man. The Syrians fled, and Israel pursued them. But Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, escaped on a horse with a horseman. And when the king and the king of Israel went out and struck the horses and chariots and struck the Syrians with a great blow. 
Then the prophet came near to the king of Israel and said to him, Come, strengthen yourself, and consider well what you have to do, for the spring of the king of Syria will come up against you. So now the battle has begun. The battle is continuing, and he has a little visitor. Any thoughts on the uniqueness of the visitor that he had come well, yeah, and I kind of wanted to ask that of you, uh, too, and, and the listeners, because I think this is striking. You mentioned that in the first 12 verses, there is no mention of the Lord or one of his prophets or a word from the Lord. Uh, he is vacant. He's not invited to the party. And not only is he not there, uh, and some may question, you know, where is God or something like that, but he's not been invited. Ahab doesn't look for the Lord. Mm. But in verse 13, does God wait for people necessarily to invite him? He shows up because he's the ruler of heaven and earth. And even more so, he shows up for this northern tribe who has, you know, since they split, kind of moved away from him. He has not stopped trying to do something for them. And it's spelled out in our text. The prophet comes, and I wonder what prophet it is, but nevertheless, that prophet comes to Ahab and gives him a word of the Lord, uninvited. Behold, I'm going to give you this multitude into your hands. And here's the clincher as I see it. It's it's actually uh, recorded twice in the chapter. I think it's twice. I'm pretty sure it's just twice. Mm -hmm. He says, and you shall know that I am the Lord. Mm. The Lord shows up because he longs to have people discover and believe on him. The question then becomes, will Ahab? That's, you know, and that, that's an interesting thought. Like you said, God shows up at times you don't quite expect it. And he comes, and this is a reminder for us, he continually comes back to us. And uh, even if we are not following his ways, I mean, Ahab is the, the quintessential example of someone that did not trust in the Lord, did not want anything to do with the Lord, and the Lord still comes to him. So there's always hope that the Lord will come to us, to your loved ones, to uh, your neighbors, to your family, to, to anybody, no matter how hard the heart is, our Lord continues to come back to us. I do like I do like the part where he says, you know, Ahab's kind of like, um, okay, so let's think about this. Who shall begin the battle? And his answer answer was you. Duh, you. <laughs> Me? That's right. Well, I think it I think it gets even better uh, because not only is there this uh, God's like duh dummy, it's you, uh, but there's also the. How's this going to happen? By the servants of the governors of the districts. Mm. And that little phrase can get easily lost. That most likely means bureaucrats. Your government officials are going to be the guys who lead the charge. Mm. We're not warriors. What are you making us do that for? Well, God said, no, shut up and get out there. <laughs> right. 232 of you get out there. Yeah. Get out there. Um, right. Now all the rest of Israel mounts this 7,000. So they've got a, a sizable force. Right. Um, there's a lot more that comes from that, but you get these governors who really weren't the military men. And God says, I'm going to deliver you 
in a way you don't expect. I'm going to do it out of weakness. And I'm going to show my strength. See, there's so many themes here you can't help but miss. God keeps coming to Ahab and to Israel because he longs for them to know him, the God who delivers. And he wants them to see that God delivers not by your political alliances, not by uh, the chariots and horses, uh, which were uh, the advancements of your military might or your technological uh, brilliance, not by your brain power. I'm going to use weakness and I'm going to show you real strength. Mm. And I think for us believers, when we see the Lord who comes to deliver his people, we can't help but go, well, he's done that. He's done that in Christ. And he's promised to do that in every daily skirmish too. I can be strong and courageous. I don't have to be afraid of this, that, or the other thing. I don't have to look at that which is opposing me as something that will overcome because God shows up and delivers. My best move is to turn to him. Right. And the question again comes, will Ahab? Uninvited God comes to to show his deliverance, and Ahab is even a recipient. The question is, will he believe it? It reminds me of Luther writes in the small catechism, for the fourth petition of the Lord's Prayer, give us this day our daily bread. What does this mean? Mm -hmm. God certainly gives daily bread to everyone without our prayers, even to all evil people. How and about that? Yeah, yeah, it, 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 it connects. But, but here, like you said, the story makes sense that you see the Lord. I mean, it goes back to Elijah as well. You see Baal, you see, you see Elijah, you see the water poured all over his sacrifice, and yet it's still burned. Now where are you going to believe? And no matter what happens, and no matter what kind of smoke is, is or fireworks are put in front of you, there are always going to be people who don't believe. Right now, it's clear that Ahab should not win this battle. Um, he should not beat um, Ben-Hadad. The question is, is he going to understand that it is God who is, so that the name of the Lord is what he needs to focus on, as opposed to maybe his brilliance or uh, to think about whatever the strategy that he had. So that's where we are right now. Any last thoughts before we get to the end of this section, 23, before we go to 23 through 25? Real quickly, that opening section is uh, of this part, 13 through 15, Mm -hmm. is really a matter of grace. That's what we're talking about. Mm. Undeserved, unsought, uh, unlimited, unending, unconditional love. God shows up for his servant because he longs for them to know his love and grace. Oh, you know, and we can connect 22 in that same way, Pastor, is that the prophet came to the king and said, come strengthen yourself and consider well what you have to do. So that kind of, let me give you, let me give you rest here. Let me, (laughs) let me strengthen you. So he provides for him once again in a way that's absolutely beautiful and, and reminder to our Lord that he will strengthen us through, through all things, especially for those who love him. Um, yeah. Any other thoughts? No, I'm going to let you continue. All right, let's do this. 23 to 25. So, okay. At this point, maybe the Syrians are going to repent and look to the Lord. Let's see what happens. And the servants of the King of Syria said to him, their gods are gods of the hills. And so they were stronger than we. But let us fight against them in the plain 
and surely we shall be stronger than they. And do this, remove the kings, eat from his post, and put commanders in their places, and muster an army like the army that you have lost, horse for horse and chariot for chariot. Then we will fight against them in the plain, and surely we will be stronger than they. And he listened to the vo- their voice and did so. So what happened to the Syrians? What did they think after being defeated? Uh, they were pretty convinced that the might of their military, that their previous strategy uh, was the best one. So they didn't learn a doggone thing there. But even more so, they justified it by the beginning saying, well, it's, it's our gods and their gods that are fighting out too. And really, they're just better in the hills than we are. But if we fight them in the plains, we got this. Yeah. <laughs> so, so they figure that, that going up to Samaria didn't work. But if we can bring Samaria down, then we've got the advantage. Let's make it on our terms, the battlefield. And I think that's kind of humorous. Uh, and, and in the ancient world, it made some lot. I'll, I'll call it logic. But in their eyes, uh, the way they viewed gods and the way gods worked in the ancient Near East, um, you had this sense of you're a god of this territory and I'm a god of this territory, which we all know were false gods. But it does beg the question that I think believers still wrestle with. And that is that, yes, the Lord helped me here, but he, can he help me there? Right. And how often do we who believe see God at work in a certain facet of our life and go, thank you, Lord. But when it comes to another area where we're tempted or lured away or whatever it is, we're, we're not so confident that he can help there too. Uh, but again, the Lord wants to show that he's the God over all things, not one territory or another. And so the, the Syrians are going to uh, get a, a real lesson in who the Lord is and what his power is about. It's actually fun to watch it unfold, uh, being on this side of it, uh, reading First Kings. You know, one of the, I want to put an application on this, and I want your thoughts. One time I was in a meeting where you had a lot of very good financial people in the room and they were talking about things way over my head and talking about this, talking about that, what should we do? They went through the whole list of everything that needs to be done and they got to the end of that discussion. And you know, there's sometimes you have that discussion where all of a sudden everyone's silent because they really don't know what else to do. And it got to that point and someone said, does anybody else have anything to say? Well, at this point I have no idea what just happened? <laughs> like, I have no idea about this stuff. And I, and I raised my hand and I said, I think it's time to pray. And they said, Oh yeah, we should pray. I mean, these were Christian people, the, the meeting I was in. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's just a, it, kind of a reminder here that they're like, okay, we just lost the war or the battle. And um, maybe we should consider this Lord <laughs> that, okay, you know, he, I don't, I'm not so sure if he's just the king of the hills. You know, he might be king of the plain as well. And so right there was a call to repentance, a call to prayer, a, a, a call to look to the Lord. And, um, and we need that reminder, uh, even in the smaller uh, things than, than something like this, which was major. I mean, this people were going to die if he went out there again. But just a reminder for us to turn to the Lord. Any, any thoughts on, on that? I have seen that countless times and experienced it in my own life. Uh, one, one really simple example is uh, our family, my siblings, I got uh, a brother and two sisters. 
we, and they're all older. I'm the, the baby of the family. Um, we're all talking about and wrestling with how to help mom and dad make this transition into a nursing home. And a lot of the, uh, integral, emotional, human nature kind of stuff is getting involved. Uh, you know, there's opinions uh, galore and there's the potential for some real arguments and, you know, hurt feelings, damaged relationships. Um, and, and, we're, and we're all doing this over the phone. So we can't even look at each other in the eye uh, because we're in different parts of the country. And at one point, it was clear we were going to lose sight of the big picture. Uh, and that is that the Lord is going to provide and he's going to guide us into a way of peaceful resolution for this, which might even happen before we need reconciliation because <laughs> maybe we'll do it right and don't need to apologize. And if we do, well then maybe we need to rethink that too. Uh, and so my siblings and I were, were believers, uh, but we were so separate. We, we put faith outside of the discussion that at one point finally it became clear we needed to bring faith back in and make that the priority. And so we prayed on the phone and we asked the Lord to forgive us and also to guide our discussion and give us peace knowing that he would unveil in his wisdom the direction that needed to happen. And the, the whole sense of the conversation changed dramatically. And then we, we kind of amazingly got to watch in the, in the coming day and a half or two days, uh, the Lord move the pieces, my parents, our hearts, uh, and circumstances to a resolution that really was beneficial. Mm. It was good. And we would have instead argued, moaned, uh, harassed, and maybe hurt some people along the way. And we may have made it to the same place, but not by pe not with peace in our hearts. Or we would have been in a worse place because we had trusted in our own wisdom way too much. And, and the things we were all discussing were still important, but the perspective can easily get lost. Yeah. And when we fear, love, and trust in God above all things, gosh, it makes a huge difference in any aspect of life. So, yeah, I, I totally agree. I, I felt that myself. Well, thank you for sharing that, Pastor. It's just a, a trying to bring the practical applications of today's life um, from this text. Our Lord leads us, and like you said, Lord, help us to fear, love, and trust in you above all things. So let's continue on. We have about 10 minutes left to finish our time. The question now is, okay, they're going back to war. What is going to happen? Starting in verse 26, and we will go through verse 34. In the spring, Ben-Hadad mustered the Syrians and went up to Aphek to fight against Israel. And the people of Israel were mustered and were provisioned and went against them. The people of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats, but the Syrians filled the country. And a man of God came near and said to the king of Israel, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Because the Syrians have said the Lord is a God of the hills, but he is not a God of the valleys, therefore I will give all this great multitude into your hand, and you shall know that I am the Lord Yahweh. And they encamped opposite one another seven days. 
and on the seventh day the battle was joined. And the people of Israel struck down of the Syrians a hundred thousand foot soldiers in one day, and the rest fled into the city of Aphek. And the wall fell upon twenty-seven thousand men who were left. Ben-Hadad also fled and entered the inner chamber of the city. And his servants said to him, Behold now, we have heard that the kings of the house of Israel are merciful kings. Let us put sackcloth around our waists and ropes and our heads and go out to the king of Israel. Perhaps he will spare our life. So they tied sackcloth around their waists and put ropes in their heads and went to the king of Israel and said, Your servant Ben-Hadad says, Please let me live. And he said, Does he still live? He is my brother. Now the men were watching for a sign, and they quickly took it up from him and said, Yes, your brother Ben-Hadad. Then he said, Go and bring him. Then Ben-Hadad came out to him, and he caused him to come up to this chariot. And Ben-Hadad said to him, The cities that my father took from your father I will restore, and you may establish bazaars for yourself in Damascus, and as far my father did in Samaria. And Ahab said, I will let you go on these terms. So he made a covenant with him and let him go. Well, there's a lot there. <laughs> kind of a change of tone of where we were. So what, what happened? Give us a rundown. Well, in 10 minutes, we're not going to finish this chapter, my friend. Oh, we're going to. Uh, you got to hurry. Oh, okay. Well, a couple <laughs> of things to note. God likes the odds. Sure. Uh, a man of God, or uh, where was that? Oh, the Syrians, uh, the Lord is, where was that? I'm what you, sorry. What are you talking that about? In Afek, they, they mustered the people and the people of Israel encamped before them like two little flocks of goats. Yes. That's what I was looking yes. for. Yep. I love that. God loves that kind of odds. He's got this. You look small. I'll take care of it. And there you heard uh, that the multitude he's going to give into their hands that you shall know that I am the Lord. It's interesting there that the Lord says to the king of Israel, I'm going to take over the Syrians so that you know I'm the Lord. He doesn't even say so that they know. He's still trying to call Ahab to faith. By the end of it, uh, they are delivered into the hands of Ahab. And notice even those uh, governors, the, the bureaucrats, they do their job. They take out the, the, the enemy. And then the rest of the military, the rest of the army does their job too. But then you're left with this question, and this is where I started us today. Um, the writers, of, the writer of First Kings, expresses things so matter of factly. We're led to believe maybe Ahab shows wisdom here because he he has mercy upon Ben Hadad and uh, seems to act wisely on a political level. The question is really. Uh, did this glorify God? Was that true wisdom that he showed? A little later we find the answer. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. But that's, that's really the question. And it's also noteworthy, does Ahab to this point recognize in any way the work of God in delivering him? Mm. To this point, he does not. Let's he, see what happens. Yeah. Yeah, and that's a fascinating reality because it looks like he's having mercy, but he doesn't say, as the Lord has been merciful to me, I will be merciful to you. doesn't say anything ah. like that. He's just kind of like, well, okay, I'll let you go. Here's the terms. All right, bye. Made a covenant. 
I says he made a covenant with him and let him go. It doesn't say, you know, the Lord made a covenant. So it's really, it's a, it's a faith issue as we look at all of this. So let's keep going. Yeah, we have yeah. uh, about five minutes and then we want to wrap all things right. up. So we'll go to the end, 35 to 43. <laughs> Here we go. And a certain man of the sons of the prophets said to his fellow at the command of the Lord Yahweh, strike me, please. But the man refused to strike him. Then he said to him, because you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord Yahweh, behold, as soon as you have gone from me, a lion shall strike you down. As soon as he had departed from him, a lion met him and struck him down. Then he found another man and said, strike me, please. And the man struck him, struck him and wounded him. So the prophet departed and waited for the king by the way, disguising himself with a bandage over his eyes. And the king passed, he cried to the king and said, Your servant went out of the midst of the battle, and behold, a soldier turned and brought a man to me and said, Guard this man. If by any means he is missing, your life shall be for his life, or else you shall pay a talent of silver. And as your servant was busy here, and there he was gone. The king of Israel said to him, So shall your judgment be. You yourself have decided it. Then he hurried to take the bandage away from his eye, and the king of Israel recognized him as one of the prophets. And he said to him, Thus says the Lord Yahweh, Because you have let go of your hand the man of whom I devoted to destruction, therefore your life shall be for his life and your people for his people. And the king of Israel went to his house, vexed and sullen, and came to Samaria. Now, there's there's a few things there that are a little bit confusing, but what's the main premise of this section? The main premise is that uh, prophets often in the Old Testament used uh, parables to unveil the truth of God, and often these were acted out. Mm-hmm. Uh, here you have a certain son of the prophets, that's a question we could get into at another time, um, who acts out a, a prophecy from the Lord, something the Lord wants to demonstrate and reveal to Ahab, but he's going to do it through um, live action, we'll say. Uh, the first guy doesn't want to follow through on what the command of the Lord is, so he gets taken down by a lion. <laughs> yeah. And some of this, too, it, it, it asks questions that we probably don't have time to delve into, but that are very relevant, and that is, how do we take the harshness of God in, in these verses? Right. Uh, then he goes to the next man, and the next man uh, hits him and wounds him, and he's wounded, and he pretends to be a wounded soldier. And he tells Ahab this, this story about guarding a man, if by any means possible. And if you lose him, your life is going to be uh, in replacement where you got to pay me. Mm. So he sets a high turn because the talent of silver, that's a lot of money. That's a year's mm. wage. Yep. Um, but I was busy on the field of battle, lost the guy. And the king of Israel says, well, that's your judgment. I agree with it. You decided it. And so then he takes his bandage away and the king recognizes him, recognizes him as one of the prophets. Uh, and then the man reveals what the Lord says. You've done that with Ben-Hadad. You guarded him as if he was so important to you, even though I had uh, devoted him to destruction. That's another powerful term. Mm-hmm. But therefore your life will be for his life and your people for his. Now, the king of Israel walks away from this encounter with the word of the Lord, and his, his reaction is vexed and sullen. Right, right. There's no repentance. 
There's no looking to the Lord for mercy or grace. There's no seeking further understanding. He's vexed and downcast. He's confused and somewhat sad or depressed about it. This doesn't sound good. What does this mean? Has Ahab learned who the Lord is? Does he confess faith in the Lord? Does he believe in the deliverance of Yahweh? And what is the answer, the so pastor? The, well, the, the, the text reveals that that has not happened, that the Lord has continued to display his hand and it began with one of mercy, and then it became one that was harsh, because how else am I going to get my man to listen to me? How am I going to have him turn to me? If grace doesn't work, will the law work? And even there, no. Yeah. In this particular case, this man refuses to acknowledge the Lord who delivers. Now, there's something for us there, too, and I know there's some profound other things going on, <clears throat> but I think that thought is profound for us because it's a call to us that the Lord comes to us the same way. He comes in mercy and grace. He also comes in times of trouble, and he comes with this word, a word that can be both harsh but always healing because he longs to draw us close like two little flocks of goats. <laughs> so that he can bring us to himself. May we not be like Ahab, but instead turn and see and know the Lord. I think that's a powerful, lingering thing for the prophet uh, wanting us to contemplate. But the Lord reveals himself. How will we see him and will we acknowledge that? Pastor David Hines of Trinity Lutheran Church in Sauk Rapids, Minnesota, helping us in God's strong word in 1 Kings chapter 20. Pastor Hines, thank you for being our guest. You are welcome. Thanks for having me on, Brady. Really appreciate it. Saints of our Lord, God works and provides for all people and wants to bring all of us to himself. Like a mother hen protects her little chicks, it is our Lord who brings us back to him. And for us, we turn our hearts, our minds, and our souls back to him because he has given everything to us through our Lord Jesus. I'm your host, Brady Finner, and pastor of Messiah Lutheran Church in Sartell, Minnesota. Thank you for joining us, and the Lord keep you safe in the palm of his hands. <laughs>